evening we want to continue our study of the different types of heart in the Bible. And we're looking at a meek and lowly heart versus a proud heart. Should have had an insert in your bulletin today that had the notes there. If you do not have them, I think the ushers may have some extra copies of that. And if you need one, if you'll hold your hand up real quick, the guys will get them to you and uh, make them available for you guys. Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 and 29 and 30 are familiar verses to us. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And we want to talk about that meek and lowly heart. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. And so as we think about the meek and lowly heart, I want you, first of all, to notice the benefits that come from that. What are the benefits of having a meek and a lowly heart? This heart is the only one that the Lord Jesus Christ used to describe his personal disposition and to give us a little bit of a greater understanding of who he is. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. As we learn about this heart, not only will we understand a little bit more about the Lord Jesus Christ, but we'll also experience a little bit of the rest that he promises for us in our souls. He said to us, I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Why did Jesus choose this meek and lowly heart in order to describe himself? In one sense, the war in heaven is between the pride of Satan and the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the pride of Satan that caused him to be thrown out of heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah 14 and verses 13 and 14, it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. A lot of pride in those statements, aren't there? And could I say to you that it was the same spirit of pride that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3 and verse 5, it says, Satan was speaking to Adam and Eve, and he said, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil told Adam and Eve, you will be as gods. That's what he was saying back in Isaiah. I will be like the Most High God, the pride. And coming into this world to pay the terrible price for our sins on the cross at Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ laid aside his glory and he humbled himself to become a servant for all of us. And it is that mindset that God wants us to have. To, to set aside our pride, the Lord didn't have any pride, but he set aside his glory in order to become a servant. And God wants us to be servants. You know the verses, but I want you to turn there with me a, mo a moment to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And the Bible talks about the mind of Christ that he wants us to have. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. 
In verse 5 it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What was the mind of Christ? What mind was in Christ Jesus? Verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We all understand that Jesus is God, amen? Amen. So it's not robbery, it's not wrong for him to be equal with God. He is God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? A servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. The meek and lowly heart, the humble heart versus the proud heart. In our day-to-day, there is a concerted effort on the part of man to bring God down to man's level and to exalt man up to God's level. And that's what people are doing today. That's what the devil wants us to do. Try to pull God down, try to lift us up. Try to magnify man and bring down, humanize God. The meek and lowly heart does just the opposite. In your notes there, I jotted these two statements there. It widens the gap between the highness of God and the lowness lowness of man thus preparing the way for true fellowship between God and man. The gap between the highness of God and the lowness lowness, lowness of man. Jesus stepped down and became a man, took on him the form of a servant, so that we could have fellowship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, I will dwell in the high and holy place. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. In other words, God says he'll dwell with us if we'll have a contrite and a humble spirit. God's not going to dwell with us if we have a prideful spirit, is he? So there's some benefits to having the meek and lowly heart. Secondly, notice the definition. What does it mean to have a meek and lowly heart? The Greek word for meekness is praos. And it speaks of gentleness. It's a gentle heart. It is a disposition of our heart toward God that fully and immediately accepts the will of the Father in all matters. It's our our being willing to submit to God the Father in everything. Meekness involves me yielding my rights. It's me surrendering my rights and saying, God, I want you to be the one that controls my life. Meekness is placing our strength under God's control in the same way that a horse responds to the slightest direction of its rider. If a horse is trained and if a rider is trained, they don't have to even use the reins to guide the horse. They can just nudge them with their knees. They can just control them with even the leaning of their body and so forth. God wants us to be so sensitive to him that even the slightest movement we sense and we follow him. I think it was John Collier when he was not here here not too long ago. He said, I want to so follow God so close that if he stops, I bump into him. That's how sensitive we are and we ought to be to God. Yielding to him and doing his will and whatever he wants. The Greek word translated lowly literally means humbleness of mind. And meekness can function only when we have a humble heart. Those two function together. 
meekness and humility. True lowliness, it's not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but rather it's accepting the assessment that God has assigned to us in our calling. The calling of Jesus was to be a servant. He became a servant to all, didn't he? He said, I came not to be ministered unto, but not to minister, but to be ministered unto. He came to minister to us. (laughs) I get it straight. He came to be a servant to us. And he explained that to his disciples as a key to true greatness. There's several operational definitions to greatness that we hear a lot of times. One is believing that I have achieved what God and others have done for me. You see, pride is when I think that I've achieved what really God and others have done through me. Another definition of pride is building all of life around myself and refusing to recognize God as God. It's putting me on the throne. It's making me God instead of letting God be God. However, the aspect of pride that I think contrasts the meek and lowly heart is reserving for myself the right to make the final decision. Reserving for myself the right to make the final decision. You see, when we are submitted to God, we let Him make the final decision. Amen? In every area of our life, Lord, what is your will? What do you, not what do I want, what do you want for my life? Oftentimes, a believer will dedicate his life to the Lord, but he'll keep one little small area of his life that he wants to hold on to and control himself. And that area violates the meek and, and lowly heart. A young teenage girl some time ago shocked her counselor by explaining some of the thoughts that she was having to deal with. Nobody had any idea that some of these thoughts were going through her mind, and she explained to her counselor that she was having a major problem with bulimia. She was asked when the problem began, and she said this, she related this story. She said, several years ago, I was sitting at the dinner table with an unfinished plate of food. My mother told me to finish the food on my plate, and when I said no, the mother said then, You'll have to sit at the table until you finish your food. I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have told your kids that? But this is what she was told. And when she was told that, she said, I rebelled inside and I gave ground to Satan in my life. She said, an evil thought came to my mind. Why don't you eat the food now and then leave the table and go in the bathroom and bring it up again? And so she carried out that thought. And soon, a few days later, she did it again. She would eat, and then she would bring it up again. And then she would eat, and soon it began to control her life. She wasn't able to break this compulsion that she was dealing with. Freedom came when she acknowledged her rebellious spirit and her disobedience to God, and she took back the ground that had been given to Satan. And she called her parents, and she explained to her parents the problem that she was dealing with. And she asked them to forgive her for her rebellious spirit that she had towards them. And she also put herself back under the authority of her parents in this area of eating. During those years, she had kept this one area of life for her control. She said it made her feel important to have one area in which she reserved the right to have the final decision. The problem was that the freedom was really just a delusion. 
She didn't have control over that decision because soon it began to control her. And after calling her parents and asking their forgiveness and placing herself back under the authority of her parents, God began to give her victory in her life in that area. There's a third thing that I want you to notice tonight, and that is the rewards of a meek and lowly heart. What are the rewards? The rewards for a meek and lowly heart are very significant. I want to share several of them with you tonight that I think will help all of us. First of all, the first reward is a, door, or a doorway to salvation. Jesus said in Isaiah, or the Bible says in Isaiah 61 and verse 1, Jesus preached good tidings unto the meek. He preaches good tidings to the meek. It is as we surrender ourselves to the Lord that we come to know Him as our Lord and Savior, isn't it? We surrender our will. We, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. We take the meek, humble route as we come before Him. Secondly, it's the source of God's grace. When we're willing to have a meek and lowly spirit, we have the grace of God. James 4, 6 says, He giveth grace unto the humble. Grace to the humble. And then it also is the basis for good judgment. As we have that meek and lowly spirit, the Bible says to us in Psalm 25 and verse 9, the meek will he guide in judgment. As we yield to the Lord and surrender our rights to him, he will guide us in our lives. And then it's also the way to true fulfillment. Matthew 5 and verse 5 says, when, when we read of the Beatitudes, verse 5 says, the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit fulfillment that God gives as a result of us having that meek and lowly spirit. It's also the key to inward rest. In our verses here in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Ye shall find rest unto your soul. You know why a lot of Christians don't have that rest in their lives that God wants us to have? It's because we're battling our will against God's will. And we're not willing to submit and surrender and humble ourselves. We want to have our way. We want to be the one that's in control. When we become humble and have that meek and lowly spirit, God says, then we find rest in our soul. I remember as I was growing up, I was in a large family. My dad and mom had nine kids. My dad was a pastor. And as the younger ones began to grow, especially the real little ones, there always had to be a time in their life in the discipline and correcting of the children, there was some point in their life when their will had to be broken. And it's a very balancing situation to break the will and not to break the spirit. But when that child is growing up, there comes a time when that will is broken and the child understands who's the boss in the family. Amen? How many little kids think they're the boss? <laughs> Jack's he's nodding his head there. <laughs> we know who's the boss in that family, don't we, Jack? <laughs> But little children, but when that will, I want to tell you something, there are a lot of adults that still haven't learned that lesson. We still think we're the boss and we haven't surrendered our will to God's will. It's the key to inward rest. And then it also is the requirement for restoring others. The requirement for restoring others. The Bible says in, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Oftentimes we see people who are struggling in areas of their life. 
And sometimes we ask God to give us wisdom to talk to them and to help them. And God says, if I'm going to restore them, if I'm going to help them get right with God, then I must be willing to go in a spirit of meekness. You never go to somebody else in a spirit of, I'm better than you, or I would never do that. The Lord said, you have a spirit of meekness, because if not, you may be overtaken with the same fault that they have. And then it's also a valuable inward treasure. 1 Peter 3 and verse 4 says, A meek spirit is in the sight of God of great price. It means a lot to God. It is of great price to God when we humble ourselves, when we have a meek and lowly spirit. And then fourthly, then, how do we develop a meek and lowly heart? If there are these great values and and benefits, how do I get that? How do I have that meek and lowly heart? Several things that we can do. First of all, recognize and confess pride. Recognize and confess pride. Remember, we saw the pride of Satan and how he said, I will be like, and he said to Adam and Eve, "You you can get to know God and be as God. All of that's pride. And Satan is the father of lies, but he's also the father of pride, isn't he? And when we understand that we have pride, every one of us has to deal with it. We recognize it. We confess it. Pride is inherent to our human nature. We're born with it. It's therefore difficult sometimes to recognize the actual pride in our lives and to see the symptoms of it. Sometimes we might need to ask a close friend, a valued friend, to help us to point out the aspects of pride that they see in our life. Now, the problem with that is when you ask somebody that, in your pride, you don't want to admit it when they tell you. Instead, you want to get mad at them and angry at them. But sometimes we need help. Recognize and confess pride. Secondly, find biblical ways to humble yourself. Find biblical ways to humble yourself. Scripture states that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I have a statement that I wrote in the front of my Bible, and I simply wrote this down. How can I humble myself before God and man today? That ought to be a question that we ask ourselves every day. Lord, as we start out our day, God, how can I humble myself before God and man today? That's one of the things I want to ask myself every day. I put another question down there. Who did I refresh today? You know, when I humble myself before the Lord, then God can use me to help other people, to refresh, to encourage. Who did I encourage today? What member of my family? What member of my church? What member of my community? What missionary? What pastor? What stranger? Who is God going to bring into my life to encourage today? As you start out the day, it's not all about me. Lord, who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to help? And as I let God show me ways that I can humble myself before God and man, God will show me ways that I can encourage other people and help others in various areas in their life. It's important that any self-effort to humble ourselves must be biblically correct. And so what are some of the biblical ways to humble ourselves? What does the Bible tell us that we can do to humble ourselves? First of all, submit to authority. Submit to authority. Sometimes that's one of the hardest things we have to do, isn't it? 
because there's authority over us, and our human nature is nobody's going to tell me what to do. None of you ever have a problem with that, I'm sure, but we have to learn to submit to authority. It may be the authority in the home. It may be the authority of dad and mom, the authority of the husband. It may be the authority on the job. It may be authority in the church, authority in our country. Brother Mike never has any problem with people submitting to authority as a police officer. They all just say, yes, sir, whatever you want, and they do it, right? Learn to submit to authority. And then secondly, confess wrongdoing and ask forgiveness. If I want to humble myself biblically, I must be willing to confess my wrongdoing and ask forgiveness. Now again, none of you have ever done anything wrong, I'm sure, or offended anybody else, so you've never had to ask forgiveness, have you? What are some of the hardest words for us to say in, in our marriage, husband and wife? I am sorry, I was wrong. Somehow those words are just hard to get out, aren't they? But if I'm going to be willing to submit to the Lord, and if I'm going to humble myself, I must be willing to confess my wrongdoing. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. And that means also there are times when we have to make restitution when there are things that have happened that we have to deal with. And then thirdly, welcome criticism and thank your critics. Now, I know some of you are saying, okay, preacher, up to here, you're okay. Now you're crazy. <laughs> welcome criticism, thank your critics. Romans 12, 14 says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Sometimes our critics spot deficiencies in our life, don't they? In our character, things that we don't see. And they may be cutting and sometimes hurting in their criticism. And yet, we are to tell them and look for how God uses that criticism in my life to help me. Oftentimes, we get criticism, criticism that's not true. But even then, we can stop and say, okay, Lord, is there something in this criticism that I need to deal with in my life? And let the Lord help us. You see, criticism's not, criticism is not always wrong, is it? I know we use the term constructive criticism. Uh, most of us don't know how to do that, do we? Most of our criticism is destructive criticism. But when somebody criticizes you with the destructive criticism, ask the Lord, Lord, how can that criticism help me? Is there something in my life that I can work on? And then fourthly, compliment your competitors and deflect praise. Compliment your com com competitors and deflect praise. In our world today, again, that's the opposite of the world. The world wants everybody to say, I'm the best, I'm the, I'm the biggest, I'm the, I'm the greatest. And, and, and God says to us, wait a minute, we have competitors in this world. We can compliment them, we can be kind to them, and deflect praise. When people praise me and praise you for things that we do, we, we deflect that praise. Our goal in our life should be to help other people to become successful. Pass the praise on to others when we have received it. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. In honor preferring one another. And then number five, have periodic times of fasting with prayer. 
when we struggle with this area of pride and humbling ourselves and we realize it and God begins to speak to our hearts, sometimes we just need to take some time to get alone with the Lord and fast and pray. Say, why do we have to fast? Because fasting denies the flesh. And that's what pride is all about. It's all about the flesh. David humbled himself on a number of occasions through fasting. He said in Psalm 69, verse 10, When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. He wept. He fasted. Sometimes we just need to take some time to fast and say, God, would you help me? Would you show me? Would you develop me? Would you teach me? I don't ever, ever want to not have a teachable spirit. Amen? I never want to come to a place where I think I know it all. How many of you know somebody that thinks they know it all? How many of you, you're that person? No, don't raise your hand. We've all seen people in, in work situations where you had somebody, they hired somebody new that came in fresh out of college and they knew everything and how to do everything and, and they didn't know that they didn't know nothing. How many of you agree with me, the older we get, the more we figure out we don't know, amen? And the more we have to learn. Don't ever get away from having a teachable spirit. Let the Lord teach you. And sometimes times of prayer and fasting and just getting along with, along with God, ask God to teach you. And then number six, fall on your face and kneel before him. Fall on your face and kneel before him. The leper fell on his face before Jesus to symbolize his unworthiness. When we bow before the Lord, we're saying, Lord, I am humbling myself. I'm not worthy. In Psalm 95, verse 6, David said, Oh, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, I know you don't always have to kneel to pray. You can pray in any position, really. But there's something about kneeling in prayer and bowing down before the Lord. Again, that doesn't have to be the way we do it every time, but it shows humility. We're bowing before Him as our God. And then seven, express gratefulness for all things. Gratefulness. Gratefulness is when we tell others how they have benefited our life. You know, it ought to always be a blessing and a joy for us to tell other people how they have benefited our life. There's a lot of folks in our church that do a lot of things. And a lot of you benefit other people. You folks who are teaching music, you're benefiting them. Those of you who are serving in various places, you're benefiting. Those of you who sing in the choir, you're benefiting all of us as we, as we hear the music and so forth. And all of you, as you serve the Lord, you benefit me. You guys make me look good. And that's a big job. But you benefit me. And there are other people that benefit us. And we need to, as God's people, humble ourselves. And we need to be willing to express gratefulness for all things. Gratefulness to other people for the things that they do for us. And then number eight, consider the mighty acts of creation. You know, when you stop and think about how great our God is, sort of humbles us, doesn't it? David said in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, he said, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars that thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful? You think about God, our God, who's responsible for the, the whole world. He tells us that 
that two sparrows are of great value, and he says one of them doesn't fall to the ground unless he knows about it. The stars, millions and billions of stars, and he knows them all by name. And the greatness of our God. You know, if I asked you right now, could you tell me the names of every person sitting here in this audience tonight? Anybody can do that? No, but you know what? God knows every name here, and he knows every name of every person in the whole world. Here's the great, vast knowledge of God, and here's you and me. (laughs) When we consider the greatness of our God, we have to stop and say with David, what is man that thou art mindful? God, why do you even care about us? We're just a blip on on the screen. And yet he does care about us, doesn't he? He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows how much you weigh today and how much you weighed yesterday. And, and none, aren't you glad God doesn't tell all that? <laughs> he knows everything about us. And when we consider the mighty acts of creation, how he spoke everything into existence from nothing, there's nothing that exists apart from his involvement. It causes us to all of a sudden humble ourselves before God and realize how small and insignificant we are. And then lastly, be committed to serving others. Be committed to serving others. The essence of a meek and lowly heart is serving others, especially with menial tasks, with those little things, sometimes things that nobody else wants to do. Jesus demonstrated that humility, you remember, when he washed the feet of his disciples. In those days, they didn't have paved roads and concrete sidewalks like we do. They had dusty trails and and gravel roads and so forth and sandy roads. And and when they walked, they oftentimes wore sandals. And when they came into somebody's home, their feet were dusty. And and one of the things that a a, a host would often do is wash their feet. And, And Jesus stooped and washed the feet of his disciples. He was saying to his disciples, I'm willing to humble myself to serve you. Is there anything in our life that is too, I don't know what's the word to use, too little, too maybe even disgusting sometimes to say we wouldn't do for somebody else? We had a couple that joined our church back during COVID in their Wendell was in his 80s, and Glory was in her late 70s. Precious couple. They wanted to go to church. Their church was closed down, and they wanted to go to church, and so they came because we were having church and joined our church. Glory had liver cancer. Vicki and I took Glory and Wendell up to see uh, Doc Streeter up in northern Indiana. Gloria had a colostomy, and... On the way up, we had to stop several times. And Vicki would go with her to the restroom and help her in there and care for whatever she needed. And she became, she was embarrassed about it. And she said, I don't want you to have to help me with all of this. And Vicki said, I'm just here to serve you and help you in any way I can. Is there anything that's beneath you that you'd say, you know, I wouldn't do that for somebody else? God's looking for people who are committed to serving others. What can I do to help other people? In closing, let me ask you a few questions. 
They're there at the end of your notes. First of all, have you asked God for a meek and lowly heart? Ask the Lord, Lord, give me a meek and lowly heart. Secondly, have you surrendered every area of your life to God's control? Pride says, I'm in control. Humility says, God, you're in control. Have you surrendered every area? Is that little area you're holding on to something that you've not surrendered to the Lord? Thirdly, have you purposed to look for ways to humble yourself every day? Every day in your devotions as you start out today, ask the Lord, how, Lord, show me how I can humble myself before God and man. And then lastly, have you yielded all of your rights to God? Have you yielded everything to the Lord? You know, sometimes we say, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but. <laughs> I'll go anywhere you want me to go, but. Be careful. I remember some years ago, and while Vicki and I were on vacation, we got to visit Brother Mike Buccaneer, and he's pastoring a church in Girard, Kansas now, and doing a wonderful job out there. Mike, when he lived here, he had served 16 years on the Newport Police Department. And he'd gotten into some things and gotten away from the Lord and got, actually had gotten out of church and divorced his wife, Jane. And First time I met Mike, I went to his home and I visited him. And he said to me, he said, Preacher, he said, I can't get right with God because if I did, I'd have to take my wife back. And then he said, if I did get right with God and took my wife back, I wouldn't come to your church. <laughs> there was some area of his life he wasn't willing to surrender to God. And long story short, as many of you know, Mike got right with God. He remarried his wife. He came to our church. He became our youth director and then our assistant pastor, and God called him to preach, and now he's pastoring in Girard, Kansas, and doing a great work. Be careful when you say, I'll do anything but. Because God does have a sense of humor, <laughs> and he does like to get us to do exactly what we said we'd never do, doesn't he? But when we're willing to humble ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do. A preacher friend of mine, pastors, well, he just retired in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, Forrest Jones. And when we were in college, we worked together. Rick Schrader, Forrest Jones, and I were all working in the same church. And, and Forrest was working also at the hospital there in Chattanooga, at Erlanger Hospital. And he worked in the pharmacy. We had a missions conference at church in Forrest. He was engaged to a girl that he worked with. And God called him to go to the mission field. He surrendered to go to Africa as a missionary. And when he went and talked to his fiancée, he said, God's called me to be a missionary, to go to Africa. And she said, God hasn't called me to go to Africa. And she broke their engagement. And Forrest was brokenhearted about it. But God brought another young lady into his life that he later married. But here was the interesting thing. Forrest never went to Africa as a missionary. He said, Tim, God never allowed me to go. For some reason, it never... And he pastored for a number of years in Sinton, Texas, and then San Antonio, Texas. And I said, Forrest, why? He said, I don't know. But he said, I believe this. He said, I believe that God called me to the mission field, and I surrendered to go. And he said, God used that because I was engaged to the wrong person. 
And God broke that engagement and brought the right person into my life. You see, when he surrendered and said, Lord, I'll go anywhere, I'll go to Africa, God said, okay, there's another little area of your life I want you to surrender to. That's the person you're going to marry. And he had to surrender that to the Lord too. I'm simply saying, is there any area that we haven't surrendered to God to say, Lord, I'll go anywhere, I'll be anything, I'll do whatever you want me to be and do. You are the boss. I surrender my will to you. Let's pray together. Father, you know our hearts. We want to have a meek and lowly heart. Lord, we don't want to have a prideful heart like Satan saying, I will, I will, I will. But we want to say, Lord, thy will. I surrender to you, to whatever you want for me. And would you help us to search our hearts and lives tonight and help us to humble ourselves before you that we might have your blessings and the benefits in our life of a meek and lowly heart. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.